and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with two beautiful people, me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran McGuire. See, I told you I could say that with a straight face. <laughs> it's Christmas Day, Kieran and Wall, we have some doozies, but um, first we have a couple of quick yet important news stories, and firstly, it could at last be good news for Wigan. Um, yes, uh, it looks as if there have been some bids uh, over the course of the past few days. Um, I, I picked up something from a uh, a Malaysian newspaper, um, which which somehow ended up in my inbox, and it was saying that there was there was an appro- there was a bid coming through from there. But uh, we've also heard over the course of the last twenty four hours that there has been. Uh, a Bahrain bid, uh, and this is coming from Alan Nixon, who's a uh, you know, pretty respected journalist, where he seems to think that the price has been agreed with the uh, with the administrators first of all. So, you know, if that is the case, it, it's now down to the EFL to give the the final thumbs up or th- or thumbs down. If that is the case, excellent. And does the fact that the administrators have agreed a price? Mean that that's almost a certainty. The EFL giving it the thumbs up. Not necessarily. the the uh, The administrator's brief is to sell the club to the highest bidder. Um, now, if they if they thought that the bidder was a potential tire kicker or is unlikely to be approved by the EFL, I, I suspect they would stop negotiations. So right. it's it's not guaranteed. Um, if this consortium has been put together, um, they've got to be able to show that they can fund the club for the next two years. But as we know, with prior experience at Wigan, being able to fund the club for two years isn't the same as actually funding the club for two years um, in terms of the shenanigans with Mr Al Young, who decided um, within a couple of weeks that he was not going to honour his word. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, in another world entirely, Barcelona and Real Madrid have been handed huge bills, I think, here, huge bills, after a, a state aid ruling went against them. Uh, yeah, this comes from the European Court of uh, Justice or something of that nature. Um, what, what's happened, it was, uh, it was Barcelona, Real Madrid, uh, Athletic Bilbao and Osasuna. And they categorised themselves as non-profit organisations which under Spanish tax law apparently meant that they paid tax at 5% uh, lower rates than if they'd been regular companies. Um, There was some discomfort with this, and the view taken by the the broader authorities was that it was a form of state aid. So it looks as if they they were going to be fined, And, and and I think the numbers involved were quite large, but given the... The sort of you know Byzantine way that uh, these these things are finally dealt with. It now appears that uh, another ruling is going to come in, and it's going to cap the the costs to the clubs of at five million euro each. Which oh, you right. know for for you and me is a lot of money. For producer guy is is a good night out. <laughs> uh, but but for these football clubs, you know, we know that uh, the, this the, Sp- the Spanish football presently is hurting. It has been hit really bad by COVID. But I suspect by the time they're actually getting round to paying it, um, that they should be in a position to do so. Mm. I don't think Guy deals in Euros. You know, he's such a rabid Brexiteer. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't think he reads a Guardian. I doubt very much if that's true. That'll be, this, this might be the day where we get one of our irregular emails from him afterwards saying, I am not sorry. <laughs> you can accuse me of many things, but please don't accuse me of that. Um, and an equally big story, Kieran, um, really seriously big and if my dad wanted any more proof that the game has gone i think swansea city announcing that they have an official turmeric supplier is probably if he was standing on the edge of beachy head uh, this is not going to reel him back in unfortunately <laughs> yeah yeah the, the baroness and i walk to uh, beachy head quite often on a sunny day uh, it, it is it is it is a spectacular view and the Lovely. the lighthouse there is amazing mm. but uh, it's it's also uh, yeah it, it does have a reputation for for tragic events as well yes it does. take take my advice Kieran don't go for a walk there with the baroness the day after we've talked about the russian girlfriend on the pod <laughs> Very wise. Because <laughs> if this was if this was midsummer murders, I don't think we'd have to look far. <laughs> 
Um, yes, so, so back back on on topics. So we're used to Manchester United having its official tyre tractor partner and things of a similar nature, but I think this has potentially topped it. Uh, uh, Swansea City announced completely straight-faced on their website that they now have an official turmeric uh, partner. Um, apparently, it's a company which has been set up by a Welsh footballer, Hal robson Carney, who uh, was uh, one of the heroes of the nation mm. in, in 2016. Um, and uh, apparently, it's, uh, it, it doesn't water down the turmeric. It, it sells it in the form of shots. I should hope so. Yeah, and, and now I'm I'm not a drinker, as you know, Kevin. But I always associated shots with things like, uh, you know, Jack Daniels and vodka and things of this nature. Um, but you you can get a pure turmeric shot, or if you're a fancy Dan, you can have it also with beetroot. Can you? <laughs> yes. Turmeric and beetroot—it's uh, interesting. It's um, it's 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 legendary turmeric for not really having any health. I mean, it's it's lovely as in a curry, but it hasn't really got any health giving properties. So, um, hats off to health. He's obviously done a good job. But it's um, what's disappointing, Kieran, is it? I I really really hope that the first club to have an official turmeric supplier would be Brighton, obviously, because yes, that would that would play into every narrative going. But it's slightly disappointing <laughs> that a good solid working class club like Swansea have got. I mean, I don't know who gets the best out of this deal, turmeric or Swansea. What's what's this? Well, I mean, there's there's zero cost to Swansea apart from putting a link up on their website, so that they will be getting presumably uh, some cash from it um, and some turmeric. Yeah, it's it's good. It's <laughs> somebody told me. I asked a friend who who deals in the food. He's in the foodie industry, basically. I said, "What's?" He said it's good for flatulence, but he didn't actually say whether it's good for stopping it or supplying <laughs> it. So I'm none the wiser, to be honest. Now, this this last story, Kieran, is a news story, but it could equally have been a question, except so many people have, have been in touch with you this week about this that I, I thought it was easier to deal with it under news. Um, it, basically, it's, it's shenanigans, I think. I'm going to use your word, around Football Index. Now, I, I'm not entirely sure what Football Index is, but it seems to have upset a lot of people this week. Um, yeah, Football Index is a website that tries to manifest itself as a form of a stock market in in the sense that you can buy and sell football players and their value goes up and down based on performances, based on the number of column inches they get and, and so on. And it pays out money. Actual this is a, actual, this is actual money you, you it, it pays out yeah, I mean you, you have you have to physically pay money to right, buy the okay. players. So when you look into it uh, in more depth, you find that it's regulated by the Jersey Gambling Authority uh, and the UK Gambling Authority. It appears to be based in Jersey, um, although the the company itself is uh, registered in the UK. It's not yet published any accounts. I've sort of done a bit of a a crumb trail, and I found its parent company and. One of the directors quit uh, last week, which isn't necessarily uh, a big thing. Um, it's also applied to delay publishing its accounts, which uh, might be uh, might be a bit of a red flag. Um, and uh, I think some of the some of the people involved uh, in terms of the the people that were gambling on Football Index were starting to feel uh, a little bit uncomfortable with uh, certain aspects of its behaviour because it had a habit of changing its terms and conditions, right. which normally meant that they were worse off as a result. Um, and then on Friday at around about six o'clock, it says, uh, uh, "By the way, in in half an hour's time." We are suspending the market, oh. so you can't buy, you can't sell. Um, I, I, I had a chat this earlier this morning. We're recording this on Sunday morning, hmm. um, and we've been—it's fair to say—we've been bombarded over the course of the weekend. And, you know, and we are not—we're not legal experts, we're not gambling experts, or anything of this nature. Um, but we have been contacted by a, a large number of people who are involved in, in this. Um, and I, I spoke to one of them, and, and I think, you know, out of courtesy, we won't name him. Um, but uh, it says the market has crashed. The, the the value of players has gone down by around about 70 to 80% since mm. Friday night. So if, so if you want to cash out. So let's say that you bought 
100 shares in Neymar at £10. Um, if you wanted to sell them now, you'd only get £2 each per share. Um, it looks as if the company has been losing money. So it, it currently has front-of-shirt sponsorship deals with Queen's Park Rangers and Nottingham Forest. So it's clearly spending a fortune on marketing. Right. Uh, if you listen to the radio, it's in, it, there's a lot of radio adverts and there's lots of newspaper and website adverts. So it's got a big marketing spend. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's been r- running for four, four or five years but it was relying on more and more people coming into the market to keep it going. Um, and some of the changes suggested that there was scope for manipulation of the prices. I mean, we did actually have one of our listeners' uh, questions come in, come in a few months ago about this. And, and at the time, I, I, I was cautious because – when when it's trying to call itself something other than what it is, you know, it is a gambling scheme. It's not a stock market. Uh, you you do feel uh, you you do feel slightly uncomfortable. It was taking commissions on every buy and sale, or certainly at least one side of the transaction, sometimes two. Um, and in terms of where this leaves people, if if it's if it has crashed. How is it going to return to the markets? There's something up on the website this morning saying, oh, we're very sorry about what's happened. Uh, you know, we're doing our best to restore things. But the only potential safeguards will be if you have any cash balances on your account. Um, I believe that they may be subject to some form of protection. But I, I don't think that's going to help most managers because if you go and stick 500 quid or a grand into into football index, the first thing you're going to do is to buy footballers. So you're not going to have any cash left in your account anyway. Mm. So yeah, it, it, it's 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 not looking great. Um, where we go from here is uh, is questionable. There's a lot of stuff out there on social media. Uh, you know, the company was claiming recently that it was going to get listed on the the New York Nasdaq stock exchange, which normally that, that of course, would add to your credibility. If you're going to be a stock market listed company, then you've got to go through certain protocols and and you tend to be investigated. Uh, But it never actually got that far, which I think has upset some of the the investors or gamblers, whoever they want to uh, perceive themselves. And at present, there's 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 a lot of people that appear to have lost money on the back of this. Could it could it come back? We don't know. I see. And the the, the person you spoke to, who you were reluctant to name, quite rightly, that's somebody from Football Index. That wasn't somebody who's been affected by a Football Index. No, no, it it was it was somebody that's been affected. Right. Um, he's been involved in it for a number of years. He he clearly. Uh, has an encyclopedic understanding of of how it operates and a depth of knowledge, which which I've tried to summarise here. Yeah. Um, but I've also been contacted by other people um, this morning on, on social media, uh, including people who I know. So you know, it's it's not I'm not just taking one person's right. position on this. It, it is uh, it, it is broader than that, and there's there's a lot of very concerned people around at present, and I think it's incumbent upon football index to get out there and to be honest and and to summarize the the exact position where um investors gamblers however you want to regard you know how they want to regard themselves where these people stand um at present uh, in terms of the money that they have put into this so, so it, again forgive me for asking Kieran because as, as you know the limit of my gambling is is five Ten pound a week at most on a on a horse, which I can't do at the moment because I haven't got an account. But so this is something football index. You could you could spend five pound on this, or you could spend five hundred thousand pound. There are no limits on how much you could invest yep. in this. Yep, sure. yep. So right. yeah, it's like it's like any other form of gambling. You've got you've got big hitters and you've got others, and you, and you've got people who you know look at it as scientifically as they can. But there's always. There's always a gamble because it's based on uh, future players' performances. Just like you know, when you, when you're betting on a horse, mm. you're you're relying on your understanding of the of the racing market to to, to place a bet on an individual. Well, you say that. I'm also sometimes relying on the name, or whatever, as 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 happened the first time I took Ali racing. She put money on a horse because she thought it had a pretty face, and the bastard won as well. Um, <laughs> Um, it's question time, uh, Kieran, because uh, it's questions day. Obviously, we begin with one of many visits 
to Ireland this show, which is always a pleasure. Rob Lyons is a Cork City fan and member of the Fans Co-op, which owned the club until very recently. And Rob says, after 10 years in control, we voted to give uh, Grosvenor Limited, run by Preston North End owner Trevor Hemmings, a call option to purchase the club. Uh, Rob says that he didn't want to cede control, but uh, the financial struggles and recent relegation influenced our membership in voting to sell. In your experience, Kieran, is essentially being owned by another football club a good thing for the smaller club in the arrangement in terms of finances and or on-pitch success? And can I first ask you, Kieran, what a call option is? Uh, A call option is where one of the parties um, at a future date may, if it wish, uh, it's let's, 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 it's a bit like me saying, um, I, I'm going to, I, I'm going to give you the option, Kevin, in three months time to buy my car from me for five grand. Mm-hmm. And in three months time, you make that final decision. And that price is, that price is set between us. Okay. So you can walk away from the deal or you can say, well, actually, Kieran, I, I've heard because it, because it's, because it's my car. Yeah. And it's got a bit of celebrity status attached to it. You know, um, I could potentially, you know, you, you could potentially sell it for ten grand now, uh, but uh, yeah, I've got this option. So you can force to, you can force me to sell it to you at the agreed price, or alternatively, you can walk away from the deal. Yeah, well, there's lots of reasons why that rhetorical situation isn't going to happen to you, and not, <laughs> not the least of which is I can't drive. Basically. Drive, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the Rob, Rob's question is: uh, I, I mean, uh, technically, uh, are they owned by another football club? Technically, in this scenario. They're not. They've they've got a co- they've got common ownership here. Um, the it, it looks as if, and I think the the deal was broadly agreed that a company called Grovemore, which is uh, Trevor Hemming's personal company, and that's based in the Isle of Man. So we've gone from Jersey to the Isle of Man. There's a thing in common between these two uh, little little islands. Um, he he was in a position where he could buy the club for one euro. Mm. Now, you know, we, we've had experience of people buying clubs for, for, mm. for pennies, um, but he was also taking over the debts. The, the problem with Cork City Football Club was that it lost 400,000 euro. And if you have fan-owned clubs, that money's got to come from somewhere. Um, and, and we've seen in the cases of... Wickham Wanderers and Portsmouth and also Wrexham, where you've had fan-owned clubs where they say, well, we've gone as far as we can go in terms of funding the club. We're now looking for a third party. So with with some, yeah, with a degree of reluctance, they 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 hand it over to a private owner. Um the, the complication here that clearly Trevor Hemmings also has his uh historic links with Preston North End, and he puts in, he subsidizes Preston to the tune of around about six to seven million pounds a year. And you know, I, I see on social media that a lot of Preston fans aren't particularly impressed with him. But you know, if, if somebody's sticking seven million pounds a year into into your club, that's mm. that's pretty good. Um where does this leave Cork City as the junior partner? Um well, yeah, it, it's a bit like the position we have in the City Football Group, in, in that the focus is going to be on the mothership. Where, you know, so Manchester, we've got the City Football Group that own Manchester City, New York City, Melbourne City, Mumbai City, clubs in Uruguay, and forty-four percent of Girona are Belgium, France, uh, China, Japan, and so on. Mm. But you know, ultimately, all the attention is focused on the is focused on the mothership. So that's where the focus would be. Clearly, if Preston North End have a good season and get into the Premier League, then that will provide more focus. The advantage to Trevor Hemmings is something that we, we have discussed on, on more than one occasion, um, in the sense that if you have a satellite or sister club or connected club which is based in the EU it does allow you to develop players in at that particular club, which you can then bring across once those players have satisfied the um, rules set by the Home Office in terms of employment. Mm, okay. Our next question comes from Dan Maskell. Uh, it's a very simple question, but I suspect it's one that 95% of our listeners will be intrigued to hear the answer. Uh, and Dan Maskell says... Uh, are clubs likely to increase season ticket prices for next season to help cover some of their COVID-related losses? Um, I think it's it's an, it's an intriguing one from Dan, and, and there are 
I think there's two schools of thought. There's one school of thought that um, to date, uh, I've seen eight Premier League clubs publish their accounts for last season, which was impacted by COVID for two to three months. And those eight clubs between them have lost half a billion pounds. Um, so if you if you extrapolate that for a full season, you know, the numbers we're talking about are going to be very, very high indeed. And, and that's only eight out of 20 clubs. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, clubs can sell players, but it's a deflated market. They have been reliant upon owners. So would fans putting in extra money to the clubs be an alternative source of revenue or an additional source of revenue? Yes, it would. So that would be the case for. Um, we've seen over the course of the last few days, I've, I've been looking at reports on uh, hotel bookings on the South Coast. Yeah. And the prices that are being charged have gone up. Yeah. So people coming out of COVID, that they've, that there's, there's a view that a lot of people over the course of the last 12 months, those who have been in, in employment haven't been able to spend their money. So therefore, they've got pent up money. Equally, there's lots of people who are freelance, who work in certain industries, who have been furloughed, who have ended up with less money. Now, both of those categories of people are likely to be season ticket holders. So if you stick up the prices, some people would be able to afford it and others wouldn't. There's also a case of saying, well, I think it's a bit cheeky of clubs to put up season ticket prices because they can't guarantee a full year of fixtures for 21-22. Mm. We, we, we don't know where we're going to be in terms of the position uh, uh, of the, the lockdown. Uh, yeah, we're all hoping for positive news and, and the, the plans on the 21st of June to effectively t- take a lot of the shackles off uh, will allow football to return in full next season, but there, there is no, there's no 100% on that. Mm. Did you hear my big sigh when you said a lot of people have pent up money? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> um, well, as well, I think from a PR basis, I think most Premier League clubs there will be somebody saying, "Look, I think we should probably freeze prices, shouldn't we, just for this for this next season?" Surely. I mean, I know. I mean, we, we've discussed this at length, considering the amount of money that they actually take through the turnstiles or whatever they call them now. It, it would seem to me it'd be a big. A big and clever thing to do to say, look, just, just next season will take care of itself. Just for this season, we're going to assume football's back, but we're going to charge you what we what you paid last season. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 with you entirely, and and also you've got to give uh, acknowledgement that some clubs have frozen season ticket prices for many years. I think yeah, Manchester United yeah, have done yeah, it for yeah, yeah. practically the whole of the last decade, and. Uh, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of the Glazers, as, as you're probably aware. But on this one, you've, you've got to give uh, you've, you've got to do give appropriate uh, credit. Yeah, do you know what I think? Most season ticket, it's not so much the price of the season ticket. That's always an issue. But if if you could pay it in instalments, like so, I mean, because that's the biggest mistake Palace made at the start of last season when we thought everything was going to be normal, was to to take the instalment plan away from the club and give it to a credit company which meant that people had to go through credit check. If you could spread the cost of your season ticket over 12 months, I don't think people would mind. They're desperate to see their clubs. But I do think it's time the clubs gave back. Fans have been brilliant during this COVID crisis. And as you say, probably 80% of fans have not taken their, their refund. They've said keep it in the club or give it to the academy. So I think I think they need to. that needs to be reflected in, in what clubs do. I'm not holding my breath for a lot of them, um, to be honest. Now, uh, this is from Tony McNeary. Uh, and Tony McNeary says, and I quote, I note from my spreadsheet, says Tony. Got a rival. Got a rival. Well, Kevin. This is, I'm slightly worried. I've, I've actually written this down because, Kieran, I never know whether you'll be proud or furious when someone <laughs> else has a spreadsheet. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to introduce a kitten to an elderly cat. I, you, and you, it, goes one of t- it goes one of two ways. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm never entirely sure what you're going to think. But, but Tony says, that, um, in 2017, Manchester United's net assets, according to his spreadsheet, were £480.1 million. Since then, their net assets have declined further each year to £351.2 million in 2020. As at the end of the first quarter of fiscal 2021, i.e. to the end of September 2020, they now amount to £339.4 million. Does this mean that Manchester United are becoming a smaller club? Well, Kevin, if you've read the book The Price of Football, you will know that it says... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) It was a while ago, though, Kieran. I'm I'm, I'm waiting for the second... (laughs) 
I've read it, Kerry. I've not read it religiously. Let's put it. <laughs> Neither have I, to be fair. <laughs> um, I've doodled in bits of the corner where I've tried to understand stuff that's going on. It's a great book. Um, the the balance sheet is a complete irrelevance as far Ooh. as the football club is concerned okay, because right. it does not value the club. Um, the, the problem with the balance sheet is that it's prepared by accountants and accountants have got no concept of value when it comes to a football club. They've only got a concept of cost. So therefore, they will look at Marcus Rashford and say, you cost us nothing, so we're going to stick you in the balance sheet at nothing. Right, okay. And then they look at uh, the Manchester United brand. You know, it's, it's got, according to Manchester United, it's got 1.1 billion followers. How much did you? How much did it cost you, Manchester United, to buy those followers? Nothing. So therefore, okay, therefore, you know, all of the communication from the Manchester United and the apps and... Uh, Manchester United's results came out at uh, 10.30 on Friday night, Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and they were very excited about their new TikTok account, uh, probably more excited than uh, than they were about their performance at, at Selhurst on, on Wednesday yeah. night, to be fair. Um, and it, it ignores the, the value. Can, they can only play as well as the opposition let them, Kieran, let's face it. Exactly, exactly. Um and, and uh, it also excludes the value of the future cash flows. So if you take a look at Manchester United's value on the uh, stock market, on Friday, it hit a 12-month high, valuing the club's shares at around about $3.1 billion. So wow. considerably more than the balance sheet value. And this was on the basis of some comments from Ed Woodward, I suspect, um, which which was sort of a... It's a bit like the the scare music in a movie where he says, uh, we're looking forward to uh, dealing with issues of governance and taking more control over mm. European football. Mm. So read into that what you will um, and things of this nature. So you know, clearly the, uh, the the belief that Manchester United want both a, a Premier League, that was quite clear, but also uh, they want a bigger say in how European football is run, uh, which is going to mean the, these bigger competitions, which means more money. And that's how the stock market reacted. Um, so, uh, in, in turn, in terms of Tony's Tony's views, the the accountants will say that the the club is smaller. The stock market will say it's bigger. And I'm going with the stock market on this one. It, it's funny, and yet many fans would say small. It's the perception of a, of a club and its size. My uh, friend Ash, who runs my local off license, so of course he's my he's my friend. Uh, came to Ethiopia as a very young man. It's sometimes quite difficult to get served in there because he'll be arguing with Polish kids about Lech Poznan. He's obsessed with football. But he's a big Man United fan. And, and I was saying to him the other day, you're second in the... T- in the this was after our game. You're second in the table. As far as he's concerned, Man United are a smaller club at the moment um, because they're not they're not winning trophies each season. But, I mean, that's, that's how fans judge it. But It's a bit like Celtic. You know, Celtic have won a cup this competition yeah, and, and are second. Yeah. You, know, you or I, Palace, we'd, we'd, we'd cope with that, wouldn't we? Oh, I know. I'd be furious if we if we, if we we went 10 seasons winning something and then went one season with nothing. I'd be absolutely I'd – be, I'd be outside the ground. Well, I wouldn't because I'm not a Rangers fan, so I, I respect the lockdown. But, uh, I wish I hadn't said that. That would get me tweets on it. Um, we have a question now from Julian Woodall. Now, we've had questions on a similar theme recently, Kieran, as well as that very frank discussion that we had recently with top lawyer Nick DeMarco. But I like the specificity of this one from Julian. And you can tell I wrote that uh, early mm. yesterday morning rather than late last night, as so I wouldn't have been. In- <laughs> um, Julian says, in these ridiculous days of Project Big Picture, FA, UEFA, FIFA scandals and skullduggery, ludicrous amounts of money at one end, half 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 bowls of gruel at the other end etc the words we need an independent regulator of football are increasingly heard and julian says i've used them myself and i think i mean it um is it actually possible legally and how would it work julian welcome to my world i often think i mean what i say uh i'm never quite convinced so this this idea of an independent regulator kieran it's been thrown about for a long time is it legal how would it work um, it, it all depends upon who appoints the regulator. Um, you know, I, I know I've spoken before about having somebody with sort of a similar power to the NFL commissioner where they can make executive decisions. 
Um, but you know, on, on digging more into the NFL commissioner, uh, this person's job it's a, it's a four year contract, and you're voted you're, you're voted on by the owners of the club. So, um, you know, they're not turkeys aren't going to vote for Christmas when it comes. So, that, so that, so you, it depends. Uh, is it going to be fan led? If which if that is the case, then. A, fan, a fan-led review of football might make these recommendations. We've seen recommendations before in terms of greater governance in the game be rejected. I think a classic example is in the English Football League, where the recommendation was for independent directors, and the EFL said, turned around and said, thanks, no thanks. Mm. Um, so I think this would have to come from statute to have any teeth. Uh, you know, Gary Neville, David Bernstein, you know, people have been involved in the game for some time. They, they've they've been saying this. I think we've we've spoken about it. Um, but if it if it's voted for by the industry, then effectively it's going to be a glorified Richard Masters role. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the problems that we have in football at present, in that we've got the Football Association, the Premier League, and the EFL. They are three independent bodies. So there is nobody overall in charge of English football, um, and, and that can can lead to conflict, as we've seen. Um, there does appear to be enthusiasm and an appetite for this from government, certainly uh, in, in conversations I've had. You know, it's had a sympathetic response and there is a belief in it. There are other priorities in society at present uh, in, in terms of clearly you know, we, we've got to deal with COVID. Uh, but it, uh, it, it was part of the manifesto of the government that they were going to have a fan-led review. And I suspect... Um, this would be one of the issues that would be raised by uh, certainly the Football Supporters Association, and we've seen Gary Neville's organisation as well. Mm. There will be pushback from the football industry itself. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I presume, though, Kieran, any independent regulator would have to come from another another business, another world completely, because you couldn't have an independent regulator who'd even once admitted to supporting a football team, could you? Because uh, basically, he's credit any decision that he makes regarding that football team or the league that football team are in wouldn't be taken seriously, would it? Um, yeah, I mean, tr- trying to find a person that's got no interest in football, and I think somebody that's got no history or affection for the game. Um, that they might struggle because yeah. it does have this unique place in in British society. You know, would they understand uh, our you know very intensely held belief that that football grounds are sac- sacrosanct, that they they represent the beating heart of the the local town or city? Um, you know, would this person therefore say, well, you know, let's let's start merging a few clubs to save money on the rent? Yeah. We can sell off those grounds that aren't used for. Uh, for property development, and that's more money that can go into football. And we were going, well, no, that that's not quite what, yeah. that yeah. what we were thinking about when you came into this job. Yeah. So um, I, I think they'd have to, you know, a bit like Caesar's wife, have to be a bit, uh, have to prove themselves to be virtuous. Um, and and it, it, it won't be easy. But if you start off saying the right things, if you engage with people in the right way, as opposed to, you know, at present, that there's there's very much an arm's length between some of the football authorities and, and fans and other other people interested in the game. Mm. Okay, back to Ireland uh, and a question from Peter. Uh, Peter's local club, Limerick FC, went out of business last year, uh, and a new local consortium has been trying to start a new club called Limerick United, but were threatened with a court case over the use of Limerick in the name because the previous owners had trademarked many combination of club names with Limerick in them. Now, Peter points out that our locals have often been referred to as the Treaty Men. For um, editor's note, that's me. Uh, the Treaty of Limerick was in 1691. Um, and the club has decided to rebrand to call itself Treaty United. 
Uh, now, Peter just wants to get both your opinions, and he stresses both your opinions, God bless you, Peter, uh, on how long trademarks usually last, and could the name be changed in the future? I love Limerick, by the way, as it's home to the wonderful rubber bandits. Uh, but, Peter, I'm not allowed opinions, unfortunately, so I can't. I would love to give you an opinion, but it's really strictly verboten. Uh, but I do have another name, a question for you, Kieran, which before you answer Peter's question, what what would be gained by trademarking loads of Limerick names in the first place? Um, when when Limerick United were around, um, this would have prevented a second club being set uh, up in the city. Uh, right, okay. Um, so, for example, um, I believe that uh, there's a, there's a club called Whitehawk uh, in Indeed. in East yeah. Brighton. That that's where I grew up. My cousin used to play for them. Bingo. Yeah, oh, did. Um, and and I think they tried to uh, be, rename themselves as East, East Brighton, and that was that was booted into touch. Right. Um, so it, and, and on the grounds that it might confuse. So you know if if I if I set up a website called Twatter or you know then. <laughs> Then that might confuse people. <laughs> it might do. It's, it's a very good idea. It shouldn't be called that yes. anyway. It's a very yes. What are you doing today? I'm busy twatting. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Carry on, Gary. That's, that's genuine, it's juvenile. That's genuinely, it's genuinely tickled me. That. I'm sorry. Um, so, if, if because that might fall into the region of passing off. So, by by setting up uh, a series of trademarks for similar names. Uh, to the existing club, it, it makes it more difficult for somebody setting up a, an alternative. Now, looking at the the life of trademarks, um, I, I can't speak on behalf of Irish law, but certainly as far as UK law is concerned, they have to be renewed every 10 years. Um, and normally there has to be evidence that they are being used in commerce. So if the original club has gone into uh, liquidation, then... Uh, I think it would therefore be more difficult. And, and I can't personally see how you could trademark the word Limerick because mm. we've seen this with Liverpool, who have tried Liverpool Football Club, who have tried to trademark the word Liverpool, and, and that was booted into touch. Um, I think the issue here that from, from Peter's point of view and, and those of the people trying to set up the new club is that they will have limited resources and this could involve silver-tongued friends who you know as we know are they they do they do often act for love you know i know plenty of lawyers that do pro bono work um but that doesn't necessarily they would do so in a case such as this mm. Thank you, Kieran. Uh, thank you, Peter, for giving me the opportunity to plug the rubber. Anybody around the world who hasn't heard the Rubber Bandits, I urge you to look them up. Um, I, so Irish hip hop historical. Uh, the two lads who wear plastic bags on their face. Uh, look up "Spoiling Ivan" first. It's a brilliant song. Uh, that, and then just sit back and let the internet take you on a journey of discovery. Our next question comes from Mark Dixon. Now, Mark is asking a familiar question, but it's one I don't think we've ever actually covered on the pod um, since the start. Mark says, over the last 20 years, we've seen the value of football players and their wages inflate dramatically. Are we now at a point where the industry has squeezed as much money as it can out of the consumers, aka fans, or will we continue to see the same levels of transfer wage inflation over the next decade? I know that the vast majority of Premier League club income is through sponsorship and broadcasting, but it also comes substantially from customers. So, Kieran, basically... This is the old has the bubble burst question, Kieran, which I ask a lot. Yes. Um, I mean, wages and transfer fees ultimately are driven by the increase in income in the game. Um, and, and that's gone up by over 3,000% since the start of the Premier League. So income's gone up by 3,000%. Wages gone up by 3,000%. Inflation over the same period 81%. Oh. So football football oh. has uh, it, it has bubbled. Um, is that bubble going to burst? Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to burst, but I think we've reached peak um, in, in terms of the existing system. And this is why the likes of Joel Glazer and John Henry want to think that, that the only future growth of the game is by changing the way that football is played in, in the sense of, you know, both domestically and overseas. Um, I, I managed to find out that 
in the first season of the Premier League, if you wanted a subscription to Sky, it cost you two pounds ninety nine a month. Wow. Yeah. So it it's gone. It, so so you know, whilst we moan about ticket prices going up compared to. Um, what's got? I think, yeah, and that was an introductory offer, and yeah, I think yeah. it doubled the next year. And you know, and God knows what it is these days. Um, but uh, you know, it's uh, there has been substantial inflation in terms of subscription fees for TV. And of course, now if you want to watch football, it's not just Sky; it's Sky and BT Sport and Amazon Prime that, that you need yeah, yeah. Uh, accounts with. Admittedly, you're actually getting far more games. You know, the first year, I think it was it was only about sixty or seventy games. Now it's now it's two hundred. Mm. But uh, broadcast subscriptions have have risen in price substantially faster than inflation. Ticket prices have broadly plateaued. You know, for a lot of clubs, has already been saying. Um, you know, some clubs are still raising ticket prices. Others, others are being far more cautious. So there's there's not a lot of growth in terms of the money coming in unless they play more matches or more glamorous matches. Um, so therefore, I think it, that will flow through into wages. C- certainly t- talking to to people connected to clubs in League One and League Two, um, there has been a reset uh, for many clubs th- this season um, as a result of COVID and the clubs turning around to players and their representatives and saying, We've got no money coming in. We can't afford to give you a pay rise. In fact, you're out of contract. We're going to offer you a twenty percent pay cut. And if you don't want it, we've got six players who will. Mm. Who you know, there's seven hundred players being made, seven hundred players out of contract in the lower leagues this summer. Mm. Back in two thousand and one, I interviewed Alan Kerbishley on a late night TV show watched mainly by security guards. Um, and the question, the question came up. I said uh, there'd been a six million pound transfer, and uh, and I actually asked the question to Alan. You know, has the bubble burst? And the answer was, oh, without a doubt. We did that no, nobody will ever pay more than that for a footballer. Footballers' wages have grown. That was that was twenty years ago, and it's a question we've been asked ever since. Um, talking of uh, TV on uh, football, Jared Grit has a question concerning the abolish abolishment the that's the abolishment of pay-per-view football um jared says that i read that the premiership model was almost unanimously scrapped by 19 votes to one do we know who voted to keep the model i believe it was leicester city oh okay um they 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 were but i think they were they wanted uh they wanted a lower price rather than it being scrapped Oh, right. Um, which I think, you know, I, I still think has some merit. Uh, there is there is a history of nineteen to one votes in the Premier League. Quite often, what they will do is uh, just have a, a chat and say, "Are there any objections? Does anybody want a formal vote?" And if it's clear of the direction of travel, it's just deemed to be it. it you know, the decision has been made, um, and nobody wants to be seen. But uh, I think Leicester, you know, they they weren't happy with certain aspects of it, so they, it, it was more of a protest vote. They they were not keep they were they were not voting to keep it at fifteen pounds a match, um, but they still felt that there was a, there was an argument for saying that there was there was some merit in some form of pay per view deal. Um, I, I know Spurs a couple of years ago. Remember when the Premier League voted to cap uh, away ticket prices at thirty pounds a piece? Well, Spurs voted against that so you know there, there is a history of 19 to ones um but normally sort of there's no formal vote taken unless that the, the issue involved is contentious can i congratulate you and your maturity kieran for quite openly using the name leicester city just some 14 hours after they sneak to win at your place last night and uh, well people sneaking wins at our place is hardly new is it well they're sneaking wins Kieran and it's I mean they left they, they scored far too early as far as I was concerned <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, and by the way Guy if, if Guy put that question in knowing full well that the answer was Leicester City then he's a more devious man than I thought he was um Blimey, Kim, we're back to Ireland again. Ryan Aaron, we are. Ryan Aaron making a fortune out of us this week, metaphorically. Uh, Dara Martin has a follow-up to a previous Brexit question regarding players from the EU coming to the UK, in which Kieran mentioned Irish players. Um, Dara wants to know whether the Common Travel Agreement negates the need to worry about signing new players from Ireland, because the Common Travel Agreement supersedes the EU and will stay in place 
for British and Irish people who want to travel freely between the UK and the Republic. Yes, my understanding is that there's no issue for for Irish players in terms if if they want to ply their trade here, um, this side of the the water. Um, There's a memorandum of understanding between the two countries, which effectively replicates the CTA. Uh, Certainly, yeah, that's how that's how my family came to to live in England, uh, rather than having to go through a formal process, and that is going to remain. Good, Uh, Larkin Hogel. That's a great name. I think, Larkin, it's it's, I think Larkin's asked this question before. Larkin's, it's a really good name. Uh, is Larkin Hungarian? I, I probably should research these things beforehand, shouldn't I? But if Guy doesn't see fit to make a note, I don't, you know. Um, but Larkin, and this is a really interesting question. It's a very simple one, but it's another of those basic but interesting questions. Larkin is wondering whether it's possible to put a value on a Premier League title. Let's pretend, he says, that the Saudi takeover of Newcastle happened. They pumped £500 million into the club and in three seasons won the title. Would that be a good return on investment? Obviously, it says like in the emotional value to the fans in the city can't be priced, but how about sponsorship, foreign broadcasting, merchandise, etc.? Right, Um we do have a very good example of this because one of the problems in trying to, to work out the incremental value is that you've got the the usual suspects winning the cop, winning trophies yeah. year in, year out. But we're back to Leicester City Football Club. Um, yeah. And yeah. Oh, God bless you for your... You're such a grown-up. <laughs> <laughs> Who, in, in 2016, won the Premier League title, um, and rightly so. And I got... I got absolutely slaughtered. Um, I'd, I'd been on uh, Five Live. I think I think I was talking. It might have been actually talking to Guy or, or one of his colleagues on on a show called Wake Up to Money, and they were saying, uh, you yeah, this was just before Leicester were about to win, and they're saying, well, yeah, what what are the financial impacts? I said, well, you know, short term, there's not a huge benefit because. The, the win bonuses they're going to have to give to Claudia Ranieri oh, are yeah. going to exceed the extra money you get from winning the, the trophy. Um, but, um, and, and then Leicester fans seem to think that I had more interest in money than I did in football, which wasn't quite the case, but uh, that, that, was, that, was, that was a jolly 24 hours on social media. Yeah, um, guy they were talking about, and then absolutely bang on, but, you know. Um, but... You know, Leicester are the perfect example because they did win the Premier League and that season they only generated an extra £25 million. So you might have thought, well, OK, that's going to come from being on the television more often um, than than in previous seasons because you get an extra £1 million per appearance. And you know, with no disrespect to Leicester, in a normal season, you'd probably expect them to be on 12 to 14 times. That season they were absolutely magnificent and, and they were on... 20 million plus. Mm. Sorry, they're, they're on 20 times plus. Yeah. Um, they got extra prize money. Um, but more importantly, it drives you into the Champions League. Mm. So the following season, they got a further 125 million. So the total benefit to Leicester in the, you know, the 12 to 13 months following winning the, the Premier League was around about £150 million. And if that then allows you to invest in the players that keep you in the the Champions League, and, the, and it's no doubt the Champions League is where it's at, um, then... Uh, you know that that extra hundred and fifty million. If you can buy, you can buy Newcastle for three hundred million pounds. You can get a very good return on your investment. Mm. Interesting. Uh, our final question uh, follows on from that, uh, Kieran, uh, by way of an admonishment to us, and it comes from David Gill. Uh, David Gill says, "I hear the phrase big six used frequently on the pod." And as a fan of one of the lesser 14, it really does piss me off. Well, David, to be fair, I normally say so-called Big Six, and Kieran usually goes for greedy six, but I, I take your point. Fair point. David says this smacks of an arrogance that was verified by the proposed big picture debacle. We quite agree. Uh, so likes of Wolves and Leicester, sorry, Kieran, knock on the door at the top six spots. <laughs> I don't know why I've underlined Leicester. I have. I've, put, I've underlined Leicester and put an exclamation mark. The likes of Wolves and Leicester knock on the door of the top six spots in bag European places. How long before that label is defunct? Is it purely financial? And if so, what would it take to break into that cabal? And how can the gap do anything but widen? Right. Um, taking a look at the issues in turn... The financial gap between the greedy six and the noble fourteen 
um, is on average three hundred and fifty million pounds a year. So it's a huge gap. So that that is what people are focusing on when when they when they do that observation. Does it have some merit? Um, I, I went through the clubs that have been in the Champions League since the turn of the century. Um, and, and I estimated that 77 out of 82 places went to the six clubs aforementioned. You know, we know who we're talking about. Yeah. The only people that uh, that broke broke into the cartel. Uh, uh, this is this is linking back to the previous question. Hey, Newcastle United, who made it twice, mm. Everton, Leicester City, and Leeds United. So um, those clubs uh, are big in terms of scooping up all of the Champions League places um, on a regular basis. And I think that's what generated the name. Uh, Spurs, during that period, have won the League Cup once. So, you know, in terms of trophies, it's not not warranted. Uh, But uh, in terms of the financial gap, well, financially, they are bigger than than the rest. Mm. Thank you, Kieran. It's a slightly depressing note to end on, isn't it? Um, don't forget, dear listeners, if you'd like to support The Price of Football, you can do so by visiting supporter.acast.com forward slash price of football, or just click on the link if you are listening on the Acast app. And a big thank you to everyone who has supported us so far, including JS, Canary, Carolyn, Pepe Loyola, Daniel K, Sutton Sadler, Mike, Liam Reynolds, Seaford Seagull, 1960, uh, and Andy Moore, uh, H. I can't read my own writing. That's terrible. It looks like I've written down ham here for some reason. Um, uh, the Seaford Seagulls sound like the sort of team Roy the Rovers would score a hat trick against. <laughs> Come on, the Seaford Seagulls. Um, <laughs> if you have a question for us on any aspect of football finance, email us on questions at priceoffootball.com and I shall leave you in the capable hands of Kieran to say goodbye. Well, once again, folks, thank you so much for all your support. Uh, if you like the show, if you can go to that big purple icon on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review, it helps business, okay? And uh, myself and Kevin, we don't actually understand the business of podcasts, but producer guy does, so he says thank you very much for that. Other than that, stay safe, boys and girls. The I'm for the